good to see you this morning. It's great to see my wife home, sitting in front of me right here. She's been traveling the world, and it's good to have her, have her back. A lot of, lot of laundry at home. Okay. Okay. Just kidding. I, I did. Uh, first of all, I want to thank, I'm just so excited about how things, yesterday we had a men's prayer breakfast for the men of Pacifica. And it was just a great time. You got, I got to tell you, the men in our church stepped up big time, especially in the cooking area. It was amazing. It was just amazing. Um, the batter, the, the, I mean, the amount of bacon, I got to tell you, that was huge. That was huge. Scooter, I'm glad you don't eat bacon. That saved more for, for me. I appreciate that very much. Um, but yeah, it was a great time. And actually, uh, Robert busted out his um, uh, knighthood outfit again this time, and it was just fantastic. And I think for me, the favorite part of the morning, besides just getting, there was three other churches, two other churches represented there besides ours. We met right in here, about 40-something people, 40-something guys, and we prayed for like a half hour around tables. It was just great. Prayed for, we prayed for the community. We prayed for the individual churches, and we just had pray, people pray uh, for friends and relatives, co-workers, and things like that, that they would come to know Christ. And it was just a really, just a really neat time. You got to know that um, there are people in this community, and I know many sitting right here that have a passion to see Jesus really do some amazing things, which he already has been doing, in our community. So there's been a lot of prayer towards that. Uh, myself and a couple of the other pastors get together regularly on a weekly basis to pray and just to con- consort with each other and just, um, I was going to say commiserate, but we don't do much of that. Um, but uh, just enjoy that. Um, so you need to know that God is doing some work. So let me pray for us before we jump into God's Word this morning. Father God, I thank you for just how wonderful you are. As that last song said, you are stronger than anything that comes our way. And man, a lot of things sure come our way. Um, a lot of things that are disappointing, a lot of things that we struggle with, but we know that you are stronger than anything that we can deal with, and we're so grateful for that. God, as we look into your word this morning, may your Holy Spirit illuminate our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning. May the words of my mouth, God, be those uh, uh, you have given me, Father God. So thank you for this time. We ask that you would bless it in your son's name. Amen. So more and more, we are living in a world that a lot of people, a lot of times, will call post-Christian. Okay, they'll say we're living in a post-Christian world, and a post-Christian society really can be summed up in as a lost, really, of a dominance of a Christian worldview, especially in the political arena. It's a society where many of the values that we have or people have that follow Jesus are no longer shared by society that the society that we live in. Uh, some examples are faith in God, obviously, uh, absolute truth, and we've talked about that, that there is no real absolute truth, views on sex and sexuality. So in the light of this, really, this letter that we've been looking at, that first that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians of his day, that were being, they were being actually persecuted for their faith in ways probably that we will never experience. But this letter has tremendous relevance for us today. Um, as we begin, as we began, as we've been seeing, as we've been going through this letter, we've been looking at the question of how do we live out our Christian faith? How do you live as a follower of Jesus in a, in a society that does not share the, real, the same values that we have? How are we supposed to live in relation to that society that really does it that biblical values really aren't the norm 
anymore. How are we supposed to do that? Well, we saw that in the first part of this, that the first part of this letter, Peter really has been hammering home this whole idea and the importance of finding where we find our identity. Okay, he's been talking about where, finding our identity in Christ because understanding our true identity, I mean, who we really are in Christ is really going to define how we live our lives, especially as we live our lives as Christians in a society, like I said, where these biblical principles really aren't the norm anymore. Um, for example, if my identity is in my performance, if it's in how I view, how I will worry about how people view me, then I'm going to live my life in such a way where there really is absolutely no room for failure or for not doing or coming up short in any way. If my performance is where I find my identity, I'll be gripped with worry, with anxiety, and the pressure to always succeed or to impress. And really, you know what? That is no way to live. But I got to tell you, it's a way that I've struggled with a lot of my life. So that's why it's so important that we constantly get this message. And that's why Peter spent so much time over a chapter in this whole book talking about our identity, because it's a lifelong process of finding out, figuring out how to find our identity in Christ. Last week, we saw how Peter said that as, remember, dearly loved sojourners and exiles. That's what we are here. We're sojourners. We're exiles here. We're people whose our citizenship belongs somewhere else. We, he's t- remember last week he talked about abstaining from desires of the flesh. Remember that? And he says that we are to conduct ourselves with honor amongst non-believers, amongst people that don't share the same values we have. We're supposed to be doing good. We're supposed to sh- show honor and we're the, even especially the people that are even persecuting us for our faith. He says that I want you to act honorably among those people so that as you live out your faith, your conduct, your very conduct will be a witness of the goodness of God so that even when we're persecuted, people will eventually want to come to know Jesus because they see how we're reacting They see how we're dealing with the pressures of life and that we're acting honorably, even when we're filling out numbered maybe in our faith. It's as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, we looked at this verse last week. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I got to tell you, one of the things about teaching expositorily through books of the Bible, which what that means is the way we teach here is we go through books of the Bible and we go verse by verse through these books, through these books. So, but I got to tell you, the thing that that does though, is it brings us to situations sometimes where we're bound to come to a topic that is either very timely or very tricky or very touchy and difficult. Today's is both, okay? We're hitting both of those today. Today's passage, it actually, I got to warn you, this might leave you with more questions than answers when we're done talking about this uh, this morning. But this subject really that we're going to be talking about is really, it's worth wrestling through. It's worth you having these kind of questions. And if you have any difficult, difficult questions, my email is uh, dgross at Alma Heights. <laughs> Um, dot org, I think it is. So feel free to send those. 
you probably won't get an answer back, but, <laughs> or I'll, it'll be forwarded to me. <laughs> uh, no, he would love that, actually. Um, so in this morning's message, here's what we're going to be doing. In this morning's passage, Peter is going to be instructing us on how to live our lives in relation to instituted authorities, specifically governing authorities. Okay, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, no doubt we are living in one of the most emotionally charged political times that in recent history, obviously. We all see it. It's brought to the surface emotions, to the surface emotions and behaviors that have been in many ways very disturbing um, to witness. Yet, as followers of Jesus, I believe that it is crucial crucially, this is a crucial opportunity for us to be able to conduct ourselves, like we talked about last week, with honor among non-believers so that they will see our witness, by our witness, by our behavior, they will see the goodness of God so that they might one day put their faith in Christ. This is a great opportunity, you guys. We've been given a fantastic one to do that. That's what Peter really is all about. This first book is really all about, it's about learning in such a way that actually causes people to be interested by way we live our lives. It causes them to be interested in Jesus. That's the whole idea. That's what Peter's doing here. These people were being persecuted for their faith. So he's saying, here's how I want you to live. Because what the way you live is actually going to impact other people and they're going to want to go, huh, what is different about you? Why are you like that? So as followers of Jesus, how are we to live our lives in relation to governing authorities, even when our values don't seem to line up at all? Well, Peter starts this passage that we're going to be looking at by first giving us a command. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17 this morning. So we're going to start with verses 13 to 15, the command that he gives us. So we'll read that. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So Peter starts off right away by telling us that we are to be subject, or in some of your versions says, to submit to governing authorities. Now, really, what comes to your mind when you think of submitting or being subjective Subject to, subject to something or someone. Well, we usually think of things like being lorded over, being oppressed. We think about giving up our rights. We think of weakness, complacency, being walked all over, having no say. Yet what we're going to see here in these passages this morning is Peter is going to take this concept of submission or subjection that comes mostly with negative connotations of what he's going to do. He is going to absolutely flip it on its head to show us the positive power that it has. Okay? The verb to be subject, or as you, those that have the NIV, it says, um, it says submit, literally means to place yourself under. Okay? That's what it literally means, to place yourself under. It was often used back in that day as a mili- in the military context. Am I back? Am I around? Am I here? Woo-hoo. All right. We're, we're moving. All right. 
So I was saying, the original readers must have thought this was crazy at first when they heard Peter saying this, because they were being rejected. But like, here's some of the things they were doing. They were like, they were rejecting emperor worship. Emperor worship was the thing of the day. You worship the emperor. And obviously the Christians weren't going to do that anymore. One of the real scandalous things that they were accused of is cannibalism. They were being accused of cannibalism. Why do you think that? Communion. Because they were eating the body of Christ symbolically, is what we believe. Symbolically, they were eating the body of Christ and drinking the blood of Christ. So obviously people were freaking out about that. So they were being highly persecuted for this kind of thing. But that's why Peter uses that phrase you see in there. It says, for the Lord's sake, submit for the Lord's sake. Now, this phrase implies that God is sovereign over everything, that he is full control. We're going to talk about this concept a little bit later. So that's why he says, do this for the Lord's sake. What he's saying here is all human institutions and all human authorities have their position only because they were instituted by God's hand. And I know some of you are going to look at me going, What? This is what the passage is saying. There are no authorities that are out there in this world that are instituted by man that God did not, not just allow, but his hand placed them there. We see this teaching. We see this very similar teaching by the Apostle Paul back in Romans. In Romans 13, 1 through 3, look what he says. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Now, this is you're going to go what? They're not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. What this means is being subject to human instituted authorities is actually fulfilling God's purpose in this world. When we obey, it's fulfilling his purpose. When we've been given really a great example of this, don't you think, and wait, because I know what you guys are thinking in the back of your mind. Names are starting to come to your head. Pictures are starting to come to your head. The guy with a little mustache, all these things are coming to your head, and I know that. And that's why I had to spend a lot of time this week really making sure what this passage really meant. Because this is a difficult one. This is very difficult, with the, especially in the political times that we're in right now. But Jesus himself... He who created the world, Jesus created this world, he submitted himself to the authorities within it, didn't he? I mean, he submitted himself even to what? Till to death. Next week, we're going to look at persecution and how we deal with persecution. So I'm going to give you a little preview right now. We're going to talk about this when we talk about suffering in these verses next week where it says this, for to this you have been called suffering. He's going to be talking about. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Man, that's amazing. That's a great example. Now, 
Here's something that's very interesting. He says, notice that it says that it's the role of governing authorities of all levels. He says, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Now, unfortunately, we know that that's not always the case, is it? That's their role, but that is definitely not always the case. It wasn't for Jesus, that's for sure. So how are we to be subject to governing authority that might be not only bad, but evil. Like I said, I mean, we think of guys like Hitler and things like that, we think, what in the world? How? And that's a whole other talk I can give you. I can give you examples of how believers lived out this passage, even amongst that kind of regime. Read all about a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That right there, well, that guy was an amazing example of this, of this whole thing. So how do we do it? Well, we have some good examples. Remember when Jesus was cornered by the Pharisees and asked about paying taxes to Caesar, which was really, it was a plot. It was a plot to try to get him to speak evil about the emperor. But what did Jesus say? He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And what? Give to God what belongs to God. You see, ultimately, our ultimate allegiance is to God. Now, when Peter and the other apostles were uh, arrested for performing miracles and stood before the high priest and all his counsel, they were asked, why are you guys teaching about Jesus when we told you to stop? We told you to stop. We let you go. We said, stop doing this. What was their response? Because we must obey God rather than men. So obviously, this gives us a little peek that obviously civil disobedience is necessary. There are times when it is necessary. The Bible is full of times and examples of civil disobedience, especially in the Old Testament. The Egyptian midwives, remember? They were told by Pharaoh to throw every firstborn male into the Nile. They refused to do it. Remember Daniel, who refused to stop praying to God instead of praying to the king? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? Remember those guys? They were told they were given a couple chances. All you got to do is bow down to this, uh, this, this idol of the king, and you're, you're all good. They refused to do it. They would not do it. The bottom line is that we are to obey the laws of the land as long as they don't force us to disregard our allegiance to God. Now, to be subject to governing authority for the Lord's sake means that we obey, we respect, we honor, we pay our taxes. Get this, we obey the speed limit. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pointing like this at, my, at, my, at myself, exactly. But we do it for what? For the Lord's sake. Because those people were instituted that made those laws were there by God's hand. That's hard to get our heads around, isn't it? But that's what God's, God says. So in answering this question, how are we to live our lives in relation to those in position of governing authority? Peter says right out of the gate here, we're to be in subjection to them. Or we're to submit to them. Okay, now Peter's going to go on now to the result He's going to go on to give us the result of being subject to governing authority. Look at the next verse. Verse 15 says this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, 
you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So he tells us that the result of doing good silences the ignorance of foolish people. And what he's saying here, biblical submission here is characterized by what Peter says is doing good, okay? Doing good is what's going to silence them. He, Peter tells them it's going to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, this word silence, what this word silence comes from, it comes from this whole term that they use, like muzzling an animal. Like when you muzzle an animal, it keeps them quiet. That's what they're talking about. It's going to muzzle people. They will not have be able to say things, okay? The ignorance of foolish people that we're trying to silence by doing good is really, it's this failure to recognize the truth of God's word. That's what the ignorance is, okay? Not recognizing God's truth is ignorance. That's what he's saying. And it's evidence that we are presenting It's the evidence that we present as we live these good lives. When our life shows that we are obeying for the sake of Christ, that very evidence is the very thing that many times, not always, but many times will quiet our critics. Posting rants on Facebook or bashing our government authorities because they don't share our Christian values is not going to convince anyone of the goodness of God. Nobody. When we do that as Christians, all we do is give them more ammunition, big time. We need to stop that. We're to honor and respect these governing authorities, not because they share our same values. That's not the reason we do that. If you had a government official, think of one right now that you do not respect for what they value. If they were to come to your house, I would hope that you would honor them, that you would respect them. Not because of, okay, we're in line here. That's what our society does here. Our society, I'm going off-roading here a little bit, Scott. Our society loves to say, I, you know what, we don't agree, so we really can't hang out. Don't we? We We're tolerant. We just can't tolerate that at all. It's like, no way. We got to agree. We got to all agree. Then we're all copacetic. Everything's good. It's not what he's saying here at all. Isn't it amazing how, does this show how different we're supposed to be as believers? This is what the power of Jesus does for us. It helps us to be these kinds of people, not to put on us, oh yeah, I'm going to love you, but I can't stand where you're coming from. And we do that. That's what we need to get on our knees and say, I'm sorry, God, give me the ability to love people that are hard to love. That's what the Christian life is about. Romans chapter 13, 1 and 2. Remember it? We just read it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no, this is this just, this just, doesn't this blow your mind? For there's no authority except from God, and those exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. I cannot wait to hear what your conversations are like when you go through the questions. Those of you that are in groups and things like that, the questions, if you don't, we have pages in the back that you can grab that I write questions about from every sermon that you guys can go through. Um, and I, I would love to be a fly on the wall in every one of yours when you, when you guys read stuff like that. So we need to remember, this is the key to this though, yes, we need to remember that God is sovereign, okay? That's a great theological word. God is sovereign. He is in complete control of everything. Nothing happens without his knowledge or his control. 
Now, that doesn't mean that everything is going to go smooth and easy. It's all going to be good. Uh, I mean, think about Daniel was the result right away. Very nice and, oh, okay, you don't have to go ahead and pray. What'd they do to him? They threw him in a lion's den. God delivered him. But he even said, you can do whatever you want. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They said the same thing. They said, you can throw us in the furnace, burn us up. That's fine. We're not, we're not going to do that. So it's not necessarily going to be easy. There could be some very difficult times, difficult things that come about because of us saying, no, I'm going to stand for what Jesus says. But that's the key. God is sovereign. We don't have to worry about Oh my gosh, what is that law that just got enacted? Oh my gosh, they just legalized such and such. Oh no, what are we going to do? Stop it. We, we don't have anything to worry about. God is in control. That doesn't mean we don't get involved in the political process, that we don't make our voice known in an honoring kind of way. Of course we do. But we don't complain and badmouth people. Romans 11.35 says, For him... For from him and through him and to him are all things. He's got it all under control. God has it all under control. He places people in governing authority for his purpose. Let me say that again. God places people in governing authorities for his purpose. How difficult is it to understand God's purpose? Impossible. That is very difficult to understand. His ways are not our ways. This is why he does because it's his pur- for his purpose. As one pastor I, I heard said, there's only one electoral vote. Yeah. Let me ask you guys, what are some ways that you or even we as a church can do good in relation to governing authority that could silence the ignorance of foolish people? How can we work with our governing authorities in order to better our community? These are questions that we need to be asking as Christians. Well, next, though, now, Peter goes on to give us the condition, okay? Now, he's going to give us the condition in which we are to be subject to governing authorities. Verse 16, he says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So as followers of Jesus, we are free from the bondage of sin in order to serve God. This is because, as followers of Jesus, we have been bought by the blood of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, okay? This means that we are now actually slaves of God. We have literally changed masters. Listen, no matter what anybody says, everybody is a master to somebody, Everybody. What's that? That's what I meant. Slave. That's what I meant. (laughs) I got some looks like, what? (laughs) My controlling want to come in. I want to be a master. Um, We are. Everybody is a slave to somebody. Everybody is. Either a slave, the Bible, somebody, or something. You're going to be. It's going to be that way. That We just are. That's the way we're made. We're meant to obey. We're meant to follow. That's why Jesus said, come, follow me. He didn't say, grab people's hand and say, come here. He said, follow me, and I'll give you life. 
This means that we're now actually slaves. That's amazing. Romans 6, 22 says this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. So you're a slave now to God, but there's an amazing benefit to being a slave of God. There's freedom. There's holiness. There's learning to live a life that God desires us to live. The thing is, though, now that we have a new master, this master that we have now gives us incredible freedom. He gives us freedom to choose to live a life that honors our master. And it's a joy to do that. We're not to use this freedom to do whatever we want with. And people do that a lot of times. That's why Christians, this whole thing we're talking about here, we've, Christians feel like, well, that government, that, what they decide, that's wrong. I am going to just do what I feel like I need to do. Let them know. He's saying, wait a second. He said, don't let it, your freedom, just feel like you can do whatever you want with this. Look, you know, Galatians 6, 6 13, you've heard this verse before. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. When you have freedom to let you say, just let it all out. Even if it you know, offends people, everything. Let me illustrate this a little bit, because I know this is a difficult concept. In the last days of the Civil War, the Confederate capital, Richmond, Virginia, fell to the Union Army. Abraham Lincoln insisted on visiting the city. Even though no one knew he was coming, slaved, slaves seemed to recognize him and immediately thronged around him. He had liberated them by the Emancipation Proclamation, and now his army had set them free. Now, according to Admiral David Porter, who was an eyewitness there, he says that Lincoln spoke to the throng around him, and he said this, my poor friends, you are free, free as air. You can cast off the name of slave and trample upon it. Liberty is your birthright. But Lincoln also warned them to not abuse their freedom. He said, let the world see that you merit your freedom. He said, don't let your joy carry you into excess. Learn the laws and obey them. What Peter is saying is that being free is not an excuse for us for disobeying God by defying those that are in authority over us because we don't have the same values that they have. We don't have that right. It's like another story about Abraham Lincoln, and not 100% this is true, but I like it anyway. Um, It illustrates well what Peter is saying. It goes like this. Abraham Lincoln went uh, down to the slave block to buy a slave girl. As she was looking at the white man bidding on her, she figured he was another white man going to buy her and then abuse her. He won the bid, and as he was walking away with his property, he said, young lady, you are free. She said, what does that mean? He says, it means you're free. Does that mean, she said, that I can say whatever I want to say? Lincoln said, yes, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean, she said, that I can be whatever I want to be? Lincoln said, yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? He said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. The girl with, with tears streaming down her face said, then I'll go with you. A great example. In this last verse we're going to look at right here, 
Peter gives a summation of subjection to others, a summation. Look at verse 17. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, I got to tell you, for the first few days I was looking at this passage going, how does this fit? I've been talking about the governing authorities. Now he just gives these four random kind of, in a sense, things, instructions. What he's doing here is giving us really this broad scope of areas that a life of submission impacts, okay? It's a broad stroke. What Peter's saying here is that we are to have a heart that is postured in submission to all, okay? A heart that is positioned in submission to all because that is the heart of Christ. So first he says here, first he says, we honor everyone. Everyone is created. Everybody is created in God's image and deserves to be treated with honor and respect, even those that we vehemently disagree with. We're to honor them. Second, he says we are to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We looked at this a few weeks ago. If you remember, we talked about this, how we are, when Peter was talking about the unique love that we are to have for those that are also in the body of Christ. Third thing, he says we are to fear God. We fear God in a way that's more of a sense of reverence, okay? It's this reverence or this awe of him. And we're recognizing that our wills, are completely subject to him. Everything that I have, everything I want, everything I desire is to be subject or become under submission to God. Finally, Peter says that we are to honor the emperor. Well, once again, the emperor, the president, the governor, the city officials, whatever, are all there by God's hand, okay? And they are to be treated with honor and with respect, even if their values don't line up with ours. This is hard, isn't it? This is a hard word from the Lord. This is one of those things that you can't just muster up and try to do. This is something that the Holy Spirit gives us power and enables us to do, like so many other things that our flesh wants to do the opposite of. As followers of Jesus, we are to submit to governor, governing authorities by doing good so that by our words, by the things that we say, by our actions, by our Facebook posts, everything that we say, these things, people will see God's goodness and God's grace, even in the midst of like, how do you communicate in the midst of what we're dealing with, with all the political stuff we're going on right now? What Peter's saying here is the way you talk about it, the way you interact with your friends and coworkers, the way you post on Facebook, everything you do should be done in a way that people are going to go, wow, something's different about you. Not because we're all flowery and we have no opinion and we're like, oh, whatever they say. That's not it at all. That's not what he's saying at all. You read, talk about, like I said, go look up guys like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the guys that we talked about in the Bible that stood up to the emperor. no. We're not going to do that. But they weren't jerks about it. They didn't dishonor Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't say, heck with you. Don't, you don't know what you're talking No, they said, sorry, we can't. And we all know, if you, read, if you look in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, that had a huge impact on his life. God did amazing things. 
I want to challenge, really, and as we close here, I would like to challenge and encourage you, all of us, actually, to think and pray about how you or even our church might practically do this kind of thing. How can we practically do this? How can we practically honor and respect our governing authorities in our nation, in our world, in our town? How can we do that? And it enables us to stand up for what we believe, but it also allows us to honor them in a way that causes them to go, wow, something is different. Well, one, I can give you right, right now, one of them, the best way we could really honor them, and it's a good place to start, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, that's requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Because the truth is being subject to governing authorities is being subject to God. Are you and I praying for President Donald Trump? That's what we're supposed to be doing. doesn't matter what you think about him. doesn't matter. That has no bearing on it whatsoever. As believers, we should be praying for this current presidential administration. Because God, he is there, <laughs> believe it or not, this is what it says, he is there by God's hand for his purpose. Some of you are saying, what in the world could that possibly be? But he's there for that purpose. We should be praying for the officials in your city, your mayor. We should be praying for them because they are there by God's hand for his purpose. How will you honor God by subjecting yourself to governing authorities and being a witness for Christ in how you talk, in how you act, what you post, and how you pray? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for words that we must admit are kind of a tough pill to swallow at first, Father, when we see that we are asked to submit, to come under someone's authority, to put ourselves willfully under authority, governing authority, that, gosh, sometimes we just go, what in the world is wrong with people in our society? But God, thank you for a wonderful example of how we can help people better know Jesus by honoring them, by standing up for what we know is right. God, I thank you that you give us this power to do that. I thank you that this is so not natural. I pray for our church. I pray for our community. I pray that we can be a people at Coastside Church, God, that honor our governing authorities so that, that, God, that that will impact our town, it'll impact our neighbors and our friends, our family, for Jesus' sake, God, for Jesus' sake. That's his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. Um, so in thinking about the benediction, there's a very um, well-known verse out of Jude. Um, 
but I'm going to back up and start a little bit before that because I think it ties in. So um, if we can all just listen to this and then think about it in terms of the sermon. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. There will be men who divide you, who follow mere spiritual, mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.